Okay, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, there are people who are coming up the aisles right now who'd love to get a Bible into your hands if you forgot your Bible. <clears throat> if you didn't bring a Bible, for sure throw your hand up and grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. Go ahead and grab one of those Bibles or grab your own Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if you're new to the, new to the Bible, it's, it's in the New Testament. So you hit all the Gospels. Then you start getting into the letters. You just keep going till you get to 1, 2 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Hey, uh, we're just going to, uh, we got a lot to cover this morning. I'm, you guys okay? We just jump right in. I don't have like a, an introduction to warm you up for this or anything like that. We're just going to go right into it. So, so if you guys, if you got a copy of God's Word, you're, you're jumping right in. That'd be great. We are in the last of a three-part series. We're talking about the spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And, and, and what is that? What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is this. It is a, a gift of grace granted by the Holy Spirit designed to build up the church. So it's a gift of grace. It's why you can't walk with a swagger about your spiritual gift. Look what I got. Look how great. No, it's a gift of grace. It's something that, that God gives just out of his grace. And it's given by the Spirit to those who know Christ for the purpose of building up the church. And so every believer, if you're a Christ follower, every believer has at least one gift. You may have more gifts. <clears throat> Your gifts may vary in strength. Someone may have more of a certain gift or, or some may have less of a certain gift. Some gifts, I believe this, some gifts are for a lifetime. I also think there are ways where God pours out a gift for a season or for a purpose or for something that he's looking to accomplish. But if you're like, well, where are these gifts? How do I figure this out? There's a list in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians where Paul lays out a list. There's a list in Romans chapter chapter 12 as well, where he lays out another list. There's another shorter list in, in 1 Peter. <clears throat> Here's the thing. When you look at all the lists of gifts in the scriptures, what you'll find is not, none of them are exactly the same. You're not going to find two of the same things. Some have some gifts that are shared in two lists or three lists. Some are only in one list. You don't find them somewhere else. Here's what I think is going on there. I think what, what, what Paul's doing, what the writers of Scripture are doing, they're saying, hey, there's a lot of gifts of the Spirit. Here are some. I don't believe that that's exhaustive, that those are the only gifts. I think there could be other gifts. And God's like, listen, I, I'm pouring this out to build up my church. So how do you know what gift you have? Well, it, it, it requires some, some self-examination where, where, where you yourself, as a Christ follower, you pray, Lord, what gift do I have? You, Lord, Lord, how have you empowered me by your spirit to build up the church, to be on mission for you? And, and after you're praying about it, you can also, know the, another way to know, hey, what's my gift? Step out and serve. You'll, you'll start to see really quickly, hey, hey, I wonder if I've got the gift of, and you start to, to, to use that. And if, if, if God's empowering that, then maybe that is the gift that you've got and, and keep walking in that. Another way is, is listen to other people speak into your lives. Listen to what people say about what you're doing. And I said this in the first sermon, that if you're a, a wise, godly uh, Christ follower, you've been following for a long time, you're in the word, and you, you see it in somebody else, a gift in someone else, that I would encourage you to, to encourage that gift. To, to, to come alongside somebody and say, hey, you know what, I see this in you. That, that you just, the way you serve the church, the way you serve in the community, the way you're out on mission, the way you're, you're serving Christ, and, and we can encourage each other in this as a way to know, hey, what are my gifts? What, what's this look like? Well, last week, John unpacked chapter 12 a little bit more for us, and, and there's something about, about those verses, about that message that, that kind of wrecked me all week as we talked through what is this idea of the church as a body? 
And we, we gather here every Sunday and we, we gather first to, to worship, to sing, to, to sing out loud. Why? Because we know that Christ has an affection for us. He's done these miraculous things in, in our lives on our behalf. And so we respond in worship to that. And, and we proclaim every Sunday that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died on our behalf. He took on our sin, the wrath of God on himself, and he died for us and was raised again on the third day. And what do we do? We celebrate this amazing truth every time we gather together. We remember, we celebrate. Why? Because we remember that Jesus brought us, those who were rebellious, and brought us from darkness into light. Rescued us from death to life. And so, so we celebrate that, that, that we now have life. We now have freedom. But, but here's the thing that's been kind of pressing in on my heart all this week. We're not just saved for ourselves. We are actually called into, saved into a body, into a family. We're, we're called into having love, authentic love for each other in this family. So if you, got, if you have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 14, look, look how it starts in verse 1. He says this, says, pursue love. I'm going to stop there. Here's our first point this morning. It's this, pursue love. You're like, this is going to be a long sermon if we stop every two words, Right? This is so important for us, though, that, that we, would, we wouldn't rush past this part here. We're going to be talking about the, the gifts, but, but Paul starts here and says, hey, pursue love. And the problem with the Corinthian church, the problem going on in this church here, is that it wasn't that they didn't have a powerful worship experience. It wasn't that they didn't see exciting things happening in their church. It wasn't that they, they didn't have those things going on. But here's what they completely missed. They didn't have love. They didn't have a unity. I mean, this church in Corinth was such a dumpster fire of a church. It was immature. It was foolish. It was full of sin. I mean, you read through this letter of 1 Corinthians, and you wonder why, when you get to the end of it, you would expect that Paul would end off the letter by just saying this, saying, hey, in conclusion, y'all should just maybe sell the sound equipment, close up shop, move to Philippi, go to church there. Let's shut the Corinthian thing down, right? He doesn't do that, but you'd wonder why not. It's, it's in such a disarray. And as we unpack what spiritual gifts are from chapter 14 here this morning, we have to start where Scripture starts, and it starts here, pursue love. It's the whole point of why he's writing this letter, why he's talking about these gifts. And so if we're going to look at, hey, what does Scripture say about things like speaking in tongues, speaking in a language that you don't know, well, what does Scripture say about prophecy and healing and all these other kind of miraculous things, the, the sort of out there gifts, and you're studying Scripture? Well, if you're going to go here, and this is chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it's, it's the only place that really unpacks the gift of tongues, giving, hey, here's what it should look like, but, but we don't want to take it out of its context. Whenever you're studying Scripture, it's an important thing to remember that you have to read Scripture in the context of what you're reading. So you don't just grab a verse and go, that's a good verse. I'll just pull this out for me. But we want to read it in the context of what it's written. So what's going on here? What's God trying to teach us? We've got this rebuke to a messed up church. A church who put way too much emphasis on the more dramatic gifts. There was especially an overemphasis on this gift of tongues. I mean, what's going on in this church is, is people are walking around with a bit of a swag going, hey, bro, I speak in tongues. I'm kind of a big deal. Probably didn't know that, right? 
And even today, you, you see the same thing happening, right? Where, where people brag about certain gifts. And I, I'm not just talking about in a, in a hyper-charismatic church where, where there's this un, unbiblical emphasis on the more dramatic gifts. And it's not good. It's not biblical. But, but even among people who, who don't wander far from Scripture, people who say, no, this is my authority. People don't go beyond what God's Word teaches. I've had people, listen, I've had people pull me aside. And they kind of do this look around, pull me in. Hey, just so you know. I speak in tongues. Nobody does it with any other gift. Like no one's pulling me aside going, hey, pastor, just so you know, I've got the gift of administration. Right? No, no one's doing that. Listen, all the gifts are supernatural. Let's not move past that. Let's not elevate ones that shouldn't be ele elevated. And here in the church in Corinth, there was like this, this competition of crazy. And, and, and their services, if you read through what's going on, they would, they would fall into this chaotic noise of everybody speaking out in tongues, everybody doing their own thing, everybody worshiping their own way, everybody, and maybe you've been in churches like that today. Total chaos. All about the individual doing their own thing and Paul saying, no, you're, you're getting this all wrong. And so as we unpack this text this morning, listen, I don't want to go beyond what Scripture says. But I also don't want to hold back any further than Scripture would hold us back. I trust that God has given us what we need to know here. But it's so easy when you read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it's easy to see why, why Christians disagree about this. It's, it's easy to see why we have different opinions on, on the gifts talked about here, why, why Christians right here in our own church. I mean, I love, I love our church. I love our church because there's such a mixed bag of people. There are people here who, who would disagree with what I'm preaching about this morning and have a different view on this. We have, we, have, we have cessationists in our church, people who believe that certain gifts cease. That's why they're cessationists. They say these gifts, these, these more dramatic gifts, what you would call the sign gifts, they would have stopped after the last apostle died and after scripture was completed. People who believe that in our church. There are people who are on the, what we call the continuous side. They would say, no, I, I think that, that the gifts have continued. All the gifts are available today. There are wise, godly teachers and theologians who I respect on both sides of this view of scripture. But let, let me land on where we all agree. The gifts are given for what? To edify, to build up the church. And these gifts that have been given, they come behind the call to love. You, you read through 1 Corinthians and, and, it, and it's weird. Paul's writing this letter and he's talking about the gifts in chapter 12 and he's talking about the gifts in chapter 14, but right in the middle, there's chapter 13 and there, this, this call to love and love is this and love is kind and love is, and it's like Paul's writing and I gotta write about the gifts and he's like, oh, wait a minute, they're gonna need something to read at weddings. And then he writes 13, right? And then he moves on to 14. That's not, that's not what's going on, right? There's a purpose for what he's doing here. The context of what Paul's saying is, you guys are missing it. The gifts are not about a show. They're not about some personal experience between you and God. They're for the mission of the church. So he starts by saying, above all, pursue love. Pursue love. A love that's deeper than what the world offers. There's this, this deep spiritual reality that makes this love that we get to experience, this love we've been given from Christ, this love we now can have for each other that's so far deeper, far-reaching, more transforming. 
And scripture says that we are called into this love as a family. We've been given an inheritance, which means we've been called together as sons and daughters. Those who are justified by putting their faith in Christ, you're part of this family. So we understand that that being born again, becoming a Christian, that that being a Christ follower, it's, it's not just what you're saved from, and we're saved from sin, we're saved from death, we're saved from the wrath of God, being separated from God, but it's also this, being saved is what you're saved into. That we're all called out of isolation, called out of pursuing our own ambition, pursuing our selfish desires, and we're called into a family. But here's the question. Do we behave like those who are called into this family? Do we act as a church that's been called together as a family? And I mean, listen, I love hearing stories across the room here of those who have been who have been rescued out of addictions, who have been rescued out of patterns of sin. rescued from bitterness and anger and hopelessness and praise God that he does this, but there's something all over scripture that we read about and we can't miss this because we have a tendency in our lives to drift towards the whole world, all orbits around me. And so what do we do? We talk a lot about my personal walk with Jesus, my quiet time with God, my personal relationship with him. And and listen, I, I do believe we come to the cross alone. Your parents' faith doesn't save you. Just because you're a, a part of a church, it doesn't mean you're a Christ follower. We, we all come to the cross alone, by ourselves, humbly with our sin to give to Christ. Say, this is my sin. This is what I've done. I need you and your, your saving grace. And it's, we do that alone. But then listen, from that point on, you're not just an individual saved by grace. You're called into something greater. You're called into this goofy family we call Harvest, this church. What that means is that, that I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to each other. And you might be like, yeah, I don't know if I want to belong to you. It's just like an earthly family, though. You don't get to choose, right? This is who we are. This is what God's created. And we've got each other. And, and Christ has saved for himself a people, not a person. I mean, I've said this before. Nobody wants to be a snowflake. Maybe you grew up hearing that you're a snowflake. You're an individual. You're so unique. Really? That, that, that seems horrible to me. I would rather be a part of something. You're, you're telling me there's no one. I, I can't be known or know. I'm so unique. Listen, we've been called to something deeper than that. There's this cry in all of us, I think, looking for this meaning of, of I want to be part of something larger, a common mission. we've been sold something wrong by her culture when what we need is a family, a community, a place where you're obligated. And, and, and I'm not saying it's easy to gather like this. It's going to be hard here at times. There are times where, where, where I'm going to hurt you. People will hurt you. And we have to do that, that hard, messy work of reconciliation. I mean, even this week, I'm meeting with somebody for that very purpose, because I've hurt them and, and I gotta walk something out. And, and listen, we're not always gonna get along. We're not always going to agree, but listen, it's, it's, it's going to be great because we're called together as a family. Where we worship together. 
We celebrate together. We, we weep together. We walk with each other through hard seasons together. We serve on mission together. We dig into God's word together. We, we live out God's word together where we forgive each other and love each other and support each other and serve each other. And, and we're called to do this in such a way that the world looks in and says, man, I don't get that. I want what you guys have. And in that moment, we have that opportunity to say, let me introduce you to Jesus. Well, we're not saying, oh yeah, we got this cool club. You should come be a part. No, no, we're saying, yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's only by the power of God that we've got this. Let me show you Jesus. And we welcome them into a family. Pursue love. Pursue love. This verse goes on. It says, pursue love, verse one, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But that's like four or five words. We have to stop again, all right? Here's our second point. This is gonna be a long message. Our second point is this, earnestly desire gifts. Earnestly desire gifts. So, so Paul's been sure to lay out, hey, before we jump into this gift thing, before we talk about this, may, make sure it's about love. Make sure you're loving each other like Jesus loves you. And, and man, wouldn't that take care of so many problems in our church, in our families, if we just loved each other like Jesus loved us? He says, love like that. But then he says this, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That, that, that word there, earnestly desire, it's, it's, it's aggressively go after. It's hunt for. It's, and it, it's a command. He's commanding us, hey, do this. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one time. It's like, hey, pursue and keep pursuing these gifts. So, so here you have Paul rebuking this church for how they live out the gifts, how they're doing the whole spiritual gift thing, but he's, he's not stopping them from going after the gifts. Say, these are from God. Pursue these. Now look what he says, though, especially pursue prophecy. Look at verse one. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Look at verse two. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So, so Paul's saying, hey, go after the gifts. And if you're going to have to choose the gifts you're going after and, and understand what he's doing, he's not lifting up prophecy over all the gifts. There was a particular thing going on in Corinth where they thought tongues, speaking this unknown language, that was so spiritual. And Paul's going, what? No, if you're going to choose between tongues or prophecy, man, go after prophecy. Why? It's because then you can actually speak things clearly to people and lives can be changed. So, so, so let's get some definitions. What, what's Paul talking when he talks about tongues and prophecy? What are tongues? Well, he says in verse two, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So, so it's this, this language, it's a language of worship and prayer here. In, in syllables that are, aren't understood. They're not understood by the people listening or even by the speaker. Look, look at verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, he says, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. Right? I'm, I'm praying something I don't understand. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. 
You see Paul's critique here. He's saying, listen, tongues are great, but it's an unknown language. It's, it's an act of worship, but it doesn't have any clarity. And the Corinthians are thinking, yeah, but this is the greatest demonstra demonstration of how spiritual I am. We see the same thing happening even in modern church, don't we? Where there are churches where, where, where they use tongues as an evidence of spirituality. Even, even this, tongues as an evidence of whether or not you're saved, which is totally unbiblical. The Spirit decides who gets a gift, and not everyone gets every gift. The gifts aren't given out to everyone. It's gifts to each one. And with this gift, look at what Paul says. I mean, he's saying in verse 18, I mean, I'm thankful I speak more than any of you in tongues. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. Paul's saying, you've got this all backwards. You guys think this makes you super spiritual. He goes, if I had to choose, if I had to choose to speak in tongues or to speak one clear word of praise or prayer or exhortation, he's saying, I choose that. I choose what's clear. As we're talking about tongues here, speaking this language, it's, it seems to be in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, a different kind of tongues. It was talked about in Acts chapter 2. You remember that? When the Spirit was coming, the church was being birthed, the Spirit falls on the apostles. They begin to, to pray, to, to, to worship, to talk about the goodness, the good things of God. And while they're doing this, people all gathered there from every tribe and nation and tongue. They're all hearing the, the, what they're saying. They're hearing in their own language. This unbelievable gift of speaking. It's this this theological way of using this gift where people are hearing the gospel in their own language. But the closest I've ever experienced this, listen, I pray for that kind of gift every time I go see Omar in Mexico City. He wants me to preach. I'm like, give me the gift to speak in Spanish, Lord. And God's like, I find it hard enough to get you to speak English well enough when you preach, right? So I don't, I'm not getting that gift, right? So here's, here's something that did happen where I did just a crazy thing that happened in our church. It was, it was years ago, there was a, a, a student who came here on a, to play hockey from Czechoslovakia. And one of our families here, he moved in with our family, and so they started bringing him out to church. And Thomas, when he first got here, did not speak very much English at all. Well, after months of being in church and, and, and being here worshiping with us, Thomas eventually gave his life to Christ. And, and so I wanted to talk to Thomas about his testimony. Hey, tell me about what was going on there. And so I go to their house. I'm sitting with Thomas. I'm talking to him about this. And, and as I'm talking, he's kind of trying to respond back with broken English. And so often he's saying, hey, slow down. I didn't get that. And so I stopped it all. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Thomas, I preach so fast that people who know English can barely understand me sometimes. I said, what, what's going on in church? Like, how do you follow me in church? And he, and he said this, he goes, he goes, Kai, when I come to church and you preach, I understand everything perfectly. I mean, what's going on there? Is that, is that a gift that God would give in that moment? Do I believe I've got the gift of tongues? No, I've never done that before. I've never spoken in any kind of weird language before, but in that moment, what, what did Thomas need? And God understood that this guy's here for a short season. Was that just a gift of God for that, that young man's life to hear the gospel clearly for his life to be changed as he gave it to Christ? Now here in 1 Corinthians 14, they're, they're talking about, it seems to be talking about uh, uh, some sort of a language. It's this, this gift not given to everyone, but it's, it's, it's as this personal, private, prayer, worship language that not everybody has, but some people get it. This, this language that's only understood, not even by the person speaking it, but spoken between them and God. 
We're going to talk a bit more about this as, as we go on, but, but let me talk about prophecy really quickly. What, what is prophecy? And Paul says in verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So what is prophecy? Now, many people go, go different directions with what, what Paul's talking about here, what prophecy actually is. And, and, and even right here in our church, there are people with very different opinions on this. But let me explain where I would land and let me tell you where the controversy lies. I would say that, that New Testament prophecy that Paul's talking about here would be this. It's God giving supernatural insight for the purpose of building up the church. So God gives supernatural insight for building up the church. It's, it's when God lays something on your heart to talk to somebody. You didn't plan it. You weren't even thinking about it, but, but you're in the word, you're praying, you're just spending time with the Lord and all of a sudden that person comes to mind and, and just something you need to talk to them about and something that you're gonna, you're gonna give to them and it, and it might be upbuilding, it says here. So it might be instruction, it might be, it might be discipleship, it, it might be encouragement where you're coming alongside somebody, pointing them to the gospel, hope they have in Christ. It, it might be consolation where you're comforting them with, with tender words. Now, before we unpack this more, what is prophecy? Let's make sure we understand what prophecy here that he's talking about. The gift of prophecy is not. The gift of prophecy is not a, a position or an office. In the Old Testament, they had people who had the office of prophet. They were prophets, and they would, they would speak God's word. God would speak to them, and they would give God's word to other people. They would tell the future. They would, they would speak for God. They would instruct. They would confront sin that's a prophet. There are no more Old Testament prophets, all right? I'm trying hard to grow this beard out so you think I am a prophet. No, right? There are none, right? There are no more prophets. In the New Testament, what you see is you see apostles who took over that role of prophet. You have these apostles. The 11 apostles and Paul were apostles. They were chosen, listen, apostles, chosen by Jesus personally, saw Christ while he was on earth, okay? That's what scripture says. This is what an apostle is. So no matter what that person in a, in a church who may say, I'm an apostle, they're not, not according to scripture scripture. There are no apostles today. But there's a gift here. There's a gift. Not, not a position, but a gift. It doesn't carry the, the weight of an apostle speaking or the weight of a prophet speaking, right? The, those are prophecies that we write down as scripture, right? We're not adding stuff coming. It's in the back of our Bible because somebody's saying, hey, I got a word from the Lord. Well, let's write that down. That must be, no, there's no more scripture coming. Scripture is, has been completed and, and prophecy never replaces Scripture. It's never even on par with Scripture. This is our final authority. This is inherent. This is authoritative. There, there's no other book like this. God's Word has everything we need for life and godliness. God's not sitting back wishing he had given us a little bit more. Oh, I, maybe I should write a second volume because I wasn't so clear in the first one. No. It's complete. So whenever, here, here you go, whenever somebody comes up and, and says, hey, I have a word from the Lord, here's something that I'd be thinking in my heart, in my mind. I may even say it if I know the person well enough. If someone says, I have a word from the Lord, I would say, don't give me a word from the Lord unless you've been in the word of the Lord. This is our authority. Here's a, the gift of prophecy is not given by the Spirit to, to people who don't want to do the hard work of study and prayer. Well, gee, I just hope that he'll just download some stuff to me then. 
I'm just being honest here, but I think that with in our culture, in our time, where we live right now, where we have multiple Bibles in our homes, where we have all the time in the world to binge watch on Netflix, we have all the time in the world to, to be on social media for hours. Listen, I'm not throwing that out as a judge, and I'm talking about myself as well. We have all this time to give to our work. I think it's crazy to think that God is gonna say, well, you know what, then I'll give you a new word. If God chooses to give you something, I'm telling you, it will come out of the time you've spent with him as you're in the word. Here's something else prophecy is not. Prophecy is not thus saith the Lord. All right? When we're saying something about I think God's impressing this on me. It's not, here's what God says, thus saith the Lord. Listen, I went to Bible school and this kind of line was used mostly by guys as they talk to girls where they say, God told me you're supposed to marry me. All right? Right? That's not prophecy. That's a lame pickup line, okay? There is not the, you don't have the authority to say, thus saith the Lord. There was a time, Eric could remember this, back when we were at VK Greer and, and we were just starting out and this guy wandered into the church before we'd started. We we're just getting kind of ready, getting all set up. And he came in and grabbed Eric and said, hey, God told me that I'm supposed to lead worship here this morning. Now, Eric being filled with the spirit and sarcasm, Eric responded, he didn't tell me, right? And he probably should have told you on Tuesday when we had practice. That would have made it even better, right? Like, you can't come in with this authority of going, thus saith the Lord. In fact, look at verse 29. What's it say about prophecy? Verse 29 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let them weigh what is said. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, it talks, it says this, Paul says, don't despise prophecies. Don't say don't prophesy. He says, but test every spirit. Test it out. Nobody's testing out Jeremiah and Isaiah. They were prophets of the Lord. But when we say something, we go, hey, I've got, I've got something that I think God's pressing in. We test it out. It, it should never contradict Scripture. Right? There are no new revelations that are going to go against God's word. I, I heard one person say this to me honestly. They said, God has told me to leave my spouse to pursue another woman. I'm like, that's not from God. That's not prophecy. Everything's going to fall under the banner of God's word. It's this personal application of what God says. It's, it's going to build each other up in Christ. Let's pursue these gifts. Let's keep going. Here's our third point this morning. It's this. So pursue love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Here, here's the thing. Don't just desire them. Point number three, use your gifts. Use your gifts. Now let's unpack. Well, what does it mean to use a gift like prophecy or, or tongues or healing or any of these gifts that are more on, on the, the more demonstrative side? What, what's it look like to use those in church? Well, look what Paul says. He says in verse 5, he says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. You see it again, Paul's concern is, hey, this is given so that we can build each other up. So tongues are great, especially if they're interpreted, because then they'll actually build each other up. Now he goes on, verse six. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how, who will get ready for battle? 
So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Verse 12 says, so with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So Paul's not saying, hey, stop doing the gift thing. He's saying, you're so fired up about having the spirit at work in your lives. Pursue the things that build up the church. saying especially prophecy. Why, why? Because he wants the church built up. He's saying, hey, hey, you might be worshiping in tongues. You might be praying in tongues. That's great, that's great. But you're edifying yourself. It's been you and God, but unless it's interpreted. And then he gives these commandments even around tongues. Look at verse 26. He says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done. Again, he says, for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. In tongues, never interpreted. All Listen, if you've been in a church where people are just busting loose, just speaking in tongues, never interpreted, all over the place, it's not biblical. Paul's so concerned that there's order in the church. Why? So that the unbeliever coming in could hear the clear gospel message. So that those who are followers of Christ could be gathered together and be built up by what they're hearing, to be encouraged or challenged. I mean, look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Verse 18 I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What about prophecy? How would prophecy be worked out in a church? I think this, I mean, uh, this is kind of my own opinion. I think it's best worked out in small circles. I think it's best worked out in our small groups especially. We're in your, your small group time where it's so good, so appropriate for, for maybe even somebody to ask, hey, is there anybody here who you've been in God's word and God's impressed on your heart something for someone here in the group or for us as a group? And if you're uncomfortable with using the term prophecy for that and saying, I don't know if I would call that prophetic, then, then you could just ask this, has God impressed on you in some way? We've done it this way in the large setting. We've had open mic before, but our open mic has been controlled because we want to have good order in our church. The open mic is this. Hey, if God's placed scripture on your heart, would you come up and read that? And people come up and just read a word of scripture that just elevates who Christ is and and gathers our hearts together to, to hear about who Christ is. We've also had this, though. We've had people come up and say, hey, I, I feel like I've got a word for the church. I feel like God's just pressing something in my heart. I think this is for the church. And, and, and I love when, when people come with that kind of humility too. Not coming going, this is for the church. God gave it to me for you. But going, I think, I don't know what they do. And they're saying, would you test this? Would you do what scripture says? I don't want to despise the prophecy, but I want to test it. So, so that's happened in our church a number of times. 
What have we done with it? Well, we'll take that. We'll get together as elders and leaders and pray and fast. God, is this for us as a church? Listen, I'm going to tell you that there's been times, one of the most dramatic times, we were planning. The person didn't know this. We were planning a prayer night, had a theme already picked out. We're going in a certain direction. A person comes up after the service. This is a week before the prayer night and says, hey, I just think God's pressing my heart that we need to call our people to and just laid out this is something we need to call our people to. We're like, well, kind of, we were going in a different direction. But I, so we pray together as elders. And we just, man, this is for real. I think God is leading us. We completely changed that prayer night around. And God did something shifting in our church through that. Not just in the prayer night. We saw a move of our church happen. Is that prophecy, a gift of prophecy, God, God, God speaking to a church. We've seen, we've seen this gift play out in counseling. Pastor Lee and I, um, we, were, we were in a um, the driveway of a house and we were called together to go and um, to confront someone caught in adultery and to just to walk through what reconciliation is going to look like for the marriage. But we were going really, this person had, had, no one had talked to the person yet about it. We were going just as the first ones to go and just basically call them out. The, the, the spouse had said, this is what happened. This is what they've done. Okay, we'll come over. We're sitting in the driveway of this house and we're praying together. Lee and I are praying and praying and praying. God, just give us wisdom as we go in, Lord, that we'd have the right words to say. And as we're praying, an overwhelming sense of you're not going to accuse, you're going to rescue. Just overwhelming. Just the, the word that I had in my mind was rescue mission. Just over rescue mission. And listen, I, if you know me, I'm like the least freaky, charismatic guy ever. I was raised in an old school Baptist church. And so I'm like, I, I don't get it either. I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is going on? And so I turned, I said, Lee, I, I think it's rescue. The word I keep getting is rescue mission. We pray some more, we go in, we sit. And we change our approach. And our first words are, hey, we're here for you. We're here because we think God's calling you to himself to rescue you. She breaks in that moment. We find out it's not true at all what she's being accused of and has been living in an oppressive, abusive relationship to be rescued out of. I mean, praise God. Do I believe I have a gift of prophecy? I don't believe I have a gift of prophecy. But do I believe that in that moment that God, by the power of his spirit, because he has a mission he's looking to accomplish to, to build the church, would in that moment say, I want to give you something that you don't know. I totally believe he would do that. I see that from scripture. I see that from our experience. Now, what about things like, like healing? I mean, Paul doesn't talk about healing in chapter 14 here. He does talk about, though, in chapter 12, he says the gifts of healings. And in the actual literal translation of that is plural gifts, plural healings. There's a gifts of healings. I think that's intentional in this sense, that just like prophets to apostles to we don't have the office anymore, I don't believe that there's people who walk around as I am the faith healer, like the, like, like the apostle Paul. I believe there are gifts of healings that, that God can still heal. That, that for a time, for a place, that, that God may give this gift. And so what do we do? We pray for it. We earnestly seek it. We, we meet with people who are sick and we pray over them a prayer of faith. God, would you heal them? Would right now, would you give the gift of healing in this? And we pray with an open hand, knowing God, you're sovereign. 
God, you're in control. Now listen, listen, I would hope that we'd be a church that, that understands, that has good enough doctrine of suffering, that we understand that God uses suffering, that, that suffering's not all about sin, that, that suffering, understanding of suffering, that we can come into us making this for, for you, for your good, for your glory. So if we have a good understanding of suffering, that we can come into a situation that we don't always have to do the, and God, you don't have to heal. We get that, right? So we can come in and go, God, would you heal? God, would you, would, you, would you strengthen this person in this? We trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. Our, our hands are open. We, we've done this as elders where James says, in the book of James, if any of you is sick, call the elders to have them anoint you with oil and pray over you. We've done that numerous times. We've seen God heal. We've seen God do the miraculous in it. We've also seen God not choose to heal. But we trust the Lord. In fact, let me, let me say this. Let me speak against something that's so dangerous. Don't, don't, don't ever go after this. If you only had more faith, you would have been healed junk. That is such a, a, a lie. It's not in Scripture. Don't be burdened with that. God uses healing for his glory and for our good. God uses suffering as well. And there are times where we prayed over people who are suffering, prayed for them to be healed, and God chose in his sovereignty, and he is still a good, good father to not heal, but we've seen people suffer so well for God's glory. We've seen people turn, people who don't know Christ, going, man, <coughs> I don't get this. And God, in a supernatural way, using suffering the same way he'd use healing. But listen, we eagerly pursue it. We'll continue to pray. God, would you heal? Believing that he does. Now let me give you some warnings before I move to a final encouragement this morning. <coughs> here are some warnings about the gifts that we can see here from 1 Corinthians 14. First warning is this. The, the gift of tongues is not a benchmark for anything. All right? It's not a benchmark for anything. People who use it as the, this is my thing, this is how spiritual I am. It's not a benchmark for, for spirituality. Paul's making that pretty clear. It's not a benchmark. It's so sad that some churches still do this today where they make it a benchmark of salvation. It's not. A changed heart is the evidence of salvation. So sad with such clear teaching we have here in 1 Corinthians that people would still be going in that direction. Listen, tongues are not a benchmark of anything. It's just a gift. Secondly, I would say this, another warning. Don't put so much emphasis on the more sensational gifts. Don't, don't pursue those with a greater emphasis, greater love, greater desire. What you're doing is you're really going in the exact opposite direction of what Scripture's going for here. Now, I'll just say this, and, and I might offend some people, and I'm sorry. Okay, I'm not really. Um, I love singing so many of Bethel's songs. Love it. I, I've got Raise a Hallelujah on repeat in my car. I just sing that thing over and over again. I just love that song. But here, here, here's something. As much as I love singing some of their songs, there's some parts about that church that I find concerning. Some of it deeply theologically concerning. Others would be this warning that, to put such an emphasis and such a, a priority on, 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 on the sensational. 
I'm telling you, listen, listen. We don't, need, we don't need angels' feathers falling from the sky. We don't need gold dust and explosion of glory to see God do the most miraculous thing he can do. Do you want to know the greatest miracle he performs? It's when people go from dark to light. When you see somebody give their life to Christ, we should be celebrating that. I can't believe God did that. Amen. That is an unbelievable working of God's spirit. Let's go after that. Let's pursue that. Let's eagerly go after it. And let's at the same time believe, God, you can do miraculous. You can do these other things as well. But God, this is what we want to see. Lives change. Hearts of stone turn to hearts of flesh. Now in saying that, here's the third warning. Right out of scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.20, don't despise prophecy. So, so the first two warnings, don't add more to Scripture than there. But here, here's the thing. Don't take out more either. Let's not be afraid because we see abuses of the gifts. And so the, the, what we can tend to do is pull back so far. Well, I've seen them abused, so I'm going to pull out. Paul doesn't do that. He goes, no, 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 stop doing that, but pursue the gifts. Well, let's not eliminate what God may want to do amongst us. Now here's something, and I, this is just something, I, as I was studying all, all these couple weeks leading up to this sermon, looking through church history, looking through, through commentaries, here's something I, I, that I did see. And this is just Kai's opinion, all right? This is not, uh, thus saith the Lord, right? This is my opinion. Um, what I saw as I looked through church history, I don't believe that the, the, that the outpouring of God's spirit in, in more of the sensational ways, I don't think it stops at the end of the apostolic age. You see, you can see evidence all throughout church history that, that we are a supernatural movement, that God's doing supernatural things in the church. But here's something that, that's kind of interesting to watch and see. What I do see is, I think that a lot of the sensational gifts, the more dramatic gifts, they seem to be used by God more on what I would call the front edge of the plow of missions. That is, as, as missions are, are going into unreached areas, going to unreached people, going to places where God's word has not gone yet, you hear more stories of the more dramatic supernatural. Do you ever wonder why missionaries have like these crazy stories, right? Like, man, I don't see that all the time in my church. Like, yeah, it's happening. Visions and, and healing, and just, it's just going on. And, and what's, what I believe is going on is God saying, listen, listen I'm going to use the gifts where they're needed. And maybe here, where we have God's word, where we have, pre I mean, you could listen to the world's greatest preachers on podcast for 24 hours a day as much as you want. You, you, you have access to the truth of who God is. Maybe God's like, you know what? I, I don't need that gift here. I need some other gifts to be used here. But as we're going into these other areas, you just see just that, that outpouring of supernatural, more dramatic, because I think they're all supernatural, but the dramatic happening. That's my own little thing. Here, here's, here's the last warning I would have. <clears throat> I would say, let's be sure that we're a church that's all about Jesus Christ and his word. There's so many times where you, you hear the prophetic or you hear tongues interpreted. It sounds so trite. It sounds like a fortune cookie. It's like, really? That's it? Man, I want to go after deeper things than that. And I've said this before a long time ago when we first launched our church. I said, if our church was a NASCAR team, we'd have the most boring jackets in the world because we only have two patches, Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Like, that's kind of it, right? Very boring jacket. That's what we want to be about. And so we want to follow Jesus alone and his Word alone. He's our authority. Now, here's a word of encouragement with those kind of warnings 
But let me encourage you this, that, that Sunday after Sunday as we come back to church, and I, I mean, I love coming and worshiping together, and we come and we worship, and, and, and I, mean, I get so fired up as we worship. I mean, my hands are lifted, my feet are moving, my, my soul is encouraged as we worship together. And then, then I want to get up, and I want to preach my guts out in a way that, that you're encouraged or challenged, and you're like, man, I want to come back next Sunday for the same thing. And we come back Sunday after Sunday. But here's what I want to encourage you that this is not an opportunity for us to just get more, get more, get more for ourselves, consume more, consume more. Let, let's be careful not to become a church where every one of us, the, the line we come in with is minister to me, minister to me, minister to me. I mean, what happens when that happens is we can gather together as a huge group like this to sing worship and we're actually not gathered together. We're still alone. That's what's going on in the Corinthian church. Let's gather together. Let, let's use our gifts together. Let's pour this out together. Let's seek out each other. So what does that mean? It means this. Let, let me give you a real practical small group way of this being worked out. When you come to a small group, small group is not just a place where you come and you just kind of vomit out all your stuff week after week. Here's my stuff. And people pray for you. People pray over you. People encourage you. And you come back next week and do it again. Next week, do it again. Next week, do it again. Listen, if you're hurting and you need to bring something to it, it's good to do that to find healing and encouragement, but, but, but it's not just all that. It's an opportunity to come and say, hey, hey, what do I have for my brothers and sisters? Do you come on a Sunday morning saying, God, give me something for this morning that I can bring to Sunday morning, that I can come along somebody In fact, the word edify that Paul uses here in, in verse three, the word, he says that, that we would up, that we would be building up, they're edifying the church. It's, it's actually an architectural term. It, it means to create, to build. So, so what would it mean for us together as a body of Christ followers to build each other up, to spur each other on to good works, to, to build each other up in the hope of the gospel? How, how do we do that? Here's real quickly, just some ways we can accomplish that with the power of the spirit in our lives. Here's one, confessing sin to each other. You're like, that's a weird one. How is that useful for building up the church? I, I saw this in Texas a couple weeks ago. I was speaking at a men's retreat there. And, and there was a bunch of like Texas men. These guys were like manly, manly Texas men. Right? I think, in fact, I think the, the meat we're eating, I think they killed it that morning with their bare hands, just knocked the horns off, right? Just, here you go, eat the meat, right? That's kind of these kind of guys, right? And, and we gathered together in, in small groups and in, in the groups, here's what started to happen. Talking, we're talking about sin and repentance and, and one of the guys would just go, hey, I, I've been in the word lately and um, convicted deeply that I don't love my wife like Christ loves the church, that I don't lead my family well, that I have a pattern of sin in my life. And guys confessing deep, dark secrets. And they, they would bring those in. And you know what happens here? Here's what happens. They, they confess that. You know what happens? It's a group of guys. So nothing for a while. It's just silence. It's like, wow. And then eventually another guy, hey, can I share too? Someone else will bring something else. Hey, hey, can I, here's what happened. For an hour and a half, two hours, what goes on? Guys weeping together, praying together, digging into the word together. Guys pursuing Jesus. Guys setting up accountability for each other. Listen, listen, the more isolated you are, the more, the more power sin has 
to destroy you. The more isolated you are, the greater the destructive power of sin in your life. Sin loves when we hide it in isolation, but when you bring sin out and go, here it is, here's what I'm wrestling with, here's what's going on, listen, revival happens. You, you look at the, the history of revivals throughout the, the life of the church. It's not just about, about crazy things happening. Every single revival, the one thing that happens in every single one is confession of sin, repentance. When you withhold confession, when you keep things to yourself, what you're simply saying is this, I don't trust you, I don't love you, I adore myself. And that's not the gospel. It's anti-gospel. Here's another way you can do this. Paul says here, not, not just build up, but encouragement and consolation. I mean, some of you are really good at this. You, you are like the huggers of the church, right? You just love to encourage people. People come in here, you're, you're the first person, and you hug people who really like to be hugged, right? You're like, I don't care. I got a gift. Here we go, right? And you're bringing them in, and you're hugging them, and you just love to come alongside and encourage. Listen, listen, this is so important. Just this week, somebody called me, just this week, Talk about prophetic. They had no idea what they were saying. They, they said, hey, I just wanted to call you and encourage you. And they encouraged me in something they did not know that that week I was wrestling so hard with. They call just to encourage. Hey, just, I felt like I wanted to encourage you in this. Just completely changed my week. Use your gifts. Call each other, email, text, visit, write notes. If, if God lays somebody on your heart, you're in the time with the Lord, you're, you're praying, you're reading the word, and somebody comes to your mind, don't let that pass. That could be the Spirit pressing in on you to help build up somebody else. Make the move. Now, now, now confronting is a part of this too, all right? That, that's one we don't like to do a lot. I mean, pray about those ones. Really, really test those spirits. Right? God, are you really wanting me to confront this? But, but it's what good brothers and sisters do for each other. It was just a little while ago that I was driving and somebody phoned me, and I answer, I, hands-free, but I answered it, right? And, and they were calling, and it's just somebody I love. They're just like a sweet, sweet dude. And, and he's talking about things that I'm like, why are you calling me and talking to me? Like, just things that don't really matter. And then finally I can see what he's doing. He's working up the nerve because then he begins to press in on me and he calls out, rebukes a specific sin in my life. Right now it's Muskoka, so it's pretty easy to just hang up. Oh, look at that. We lost reception, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just ooze godliness and just think of those things. Uh, here's what happened. He pressed in and um, end of the story, uh, we ended up, I mean, just weeping. I'm a bit of a crier for this kind of stuff anyway, but we're weeping, praying, I'm repenting, changed. Now, why would I love that this guy would press in on me like that? Because I know that he loves me dearly because he's, he's lived out in a way that, man, this guy loves me so he can press in on my heart. Listen, listen, if, if, if you don't get anything out of this but this, here, here's what I want you to go away with. Use your gifts. Pray, give, assist, help. If we want to be part of a, of a, a true New Testament church, then, then we need to hear what God's saying of this, that we pursue love, that we, we treat each other as being more valuable than ourselves, where we put each other ahead of each of ourselves. And then we use the gifts God's given us, and we see this place lit on fire by the Spirit of God for the mission he's called us to. Let's use our gifts. Let's not hold back.